0: Well hey Journey, good morning. My name's Chris. It's good to be with you. I just I want to say up front that every time I I get the opportunity to to stand before all of you and and share the good news of Jesus is an opportunity that I don't take for granted. I just I feel so privileged to do it uh, to speak in front of all of you and I actually feel maybe even more privileged and humbled today because as you may or may not know uh, our lead pastor, Brian Hopkins, and his wife, Dana, are currently in the Congo. That's in Africa, right? And they're, they're over there uh, working on adopting four young sisters. And, and it just so happened that that process has been taking quite a bit longer than they anticipated. And, and so Brian wanted so desperately to be with all of us this week, right? Because we actually even said last weekend that he would be here ...to to take us through this I Dare You series, and he is not. He he wanted to be here so bad that he booked a flight to come home on Thursday... ...and then he was going to go back to the Congo on Sunday... And it, that didn't work out, right? Because God was maybe moving and doing some things there that might set up the, the meeting that they need to get the exit letters signed and, and get them all on their way. So, so he stuck around over in the Congo, but he, he wants you all to know that, that he misses all of you. He wish he could be here for that. Uh, they're working really hard to get this uh, adoption figured out because it, this has actually been put in front of the president of the Congo. Like, like, the president of the DRC is looking at their adoption case, right? Like, only the Hopkins get set up that way, right? And so they're, they're working on trying to get these four girls home. In the meantime, right, they, they have eight children here in Bozeman that we haven't even seen for, like, the last four weeks. We don't know what they're doing, where they've been. Uh, so if you see one, round them up, you know, let them know that mom and dad will be home soon. Uh, but, but really, joking, we, we know where they are. They're taking care of. They're safe, Okay. Uh, I I wanted to even just start this morning by by taking a moment to pray for Brian and Dana and and the the four girls that they're working to adopt and their family that's here as well. And then maybe even you could think about praying for them throughout this week until hopefully they get home ASAP. And then they'll have 12 kids, so you'll have to keep praying for them even more. And we'll just continue those prayers. So uh, before we dive in, let's let's just pray together. God, we... We just want to say as a, as a church family, we trust you. Uh, we trust that you're in control of, of what's going on over in the Congo with Brian and Dana and the uh, work needed to adopt these four young girls. We ask that uh, you, would, you would move in ways that only you can move, God, whether that, that means somebody needs to sign something or, or someone who's in a position of authority, needs to have a change of heart to send Brian and Dana and those four girls on home. Would you make that happen as only you can? Uh, We trust God that that you have Brian and Dana, those four girls, their, their, their kids at home. You have their best interest in mind, even more than we would have it. We ask that you would move and bring them home quickly, together, safely, we also pray, God, that when we look back on all that you've been doing for the last five weeks as they've been trying to adopt these girls, that we would look back at those moments and we would, we would see, God, only you could do those things. We would point to you and you would get the glory and you would get the honor for that. And so we trust you. We, we leave this in your hands, God. We pray that you would bring faith and trust and comfort to Brian and Dana as well as their entire family. Um, again. We give it to you, God. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So here we are. Right? You're stuck with me, the pinch hitter, coming in to take us through the, this fall series that we're kicking off, calling I Dare You. Right? And, and I can't help, but every time I hear I dare you, or every time somebody says it to me, I, I go back to like this 8-year-old version of myself, which I actually do a lot. And, and when I go back to the 8-year-old version of myself, somebody says I dare you, and I always I have to say dares go first. Right, dares go first, and then they, they're supposed to say chickens lead the way. I don't know if you guys ever did that, but apparently like three of you did. right? And, and so that's what I think of. And so as we set out on this, this series over the next couple months where we look at, at the, the heart of journey, like if you cut journey, this is what we bleed, this is what we're all about. I think it would be weird if, if I went first or if I asked all of you to go first. So the, the goal would be, and in response to someone saying, I dare you, we would, we would now say, "Dares go together. All right, dares go together. Like, we're going to go about this together. This is a, a large group activity, if you will. And so as we set out on this journey together, I wanted to begin by telling you a story of this woman by the name of Diana Nyad. Now, Diana Nyad just became the first person to ever swim from Cuba to Florida, Right? And she did this without the, the aid of a shark cage in which to hide in or to draft behind. Like, that's not a joke. She really was this person, right? And, and I mean, why, why not? Why wouldn't you do that swim? Right? And, and so she swam for 110 miles, almost 53 hours, consistently swimming, like nonstop. I can't even float for that long, right? Like, she was actually swimming this whole time. But but here's the thing. Diana just turned 64. And this was her fifth attempt at trying to swim from Cuba to Florida. She first tried in 1978. That was the first time she tried. And then she tried like three other times up to that point. And then in, in 2010, she had a failed attempt. And shortly after that, her mother passed away. And so this is what, what Naya had said. She said, I thought, Soon I'm going to blink and be my mother's age. And I was thinking, what have I done with my life? I don't just mean accomplishments, but who have I become? That was the question she was asking herself. Who have I become? And though she tried and failed, tried and failed, tried and failed, like she finally got to this point, and here's what happened. After her failed attempt in 2010, she had had a team of 24 people helping her. But for her successful attempt that she just completed, she had put together a team of friends and family that reached the number of 35. Because, you see, darers go together. Right? Darers go together. And so then when Nyad was asked what she was thinking while she was swimming... Not why she was swimming, right? Because we know that that's because she's crazy, right? But what was she thinking while she was swimming? And all the while, when you you ask her this question, she knew she had a team in place that would hopefully prevent or help her endure such things as nausea, hypothermia, dehydration, asthma attacks, hallucinations that might come along, because those are common when you swim from Cuba to Florida. Also, the potentially deadly shark attacks that could happen, as well as the box jellyfish stings that had crisscrossed her entire body and sabotaged her 2010 attempt. Right? That sounds... Fun, And then there were also the storms and the the white capping swells that reached nine feet and that ruined her 1978 attempt. And then her other attempts were all ruined because the the currents of the, the gulf stream had dragged her far off course and she couldn't find her way. So naturally when they said what were you thinking while you were swimming, she simply said this. She kept repeating to herself, with your left hand push Cuba back. With the other hand, pull Florida closer. That's all she was thinking. We're like, isn't isn't that what we want to do too? Like with our left hand, let's push away who it is we don't want to be anymore. And with our right hand, let's pull it closer. Because the challenge with becoming who we want to be or even who we are created to be, it often comes down to these pivotal moments where a decision needs to be made. And it's in that moment that if we decide we're going to follow through with, with who God's really calling us to be, like, it's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. If Ananiah if had just jumped off the water, like, she, she's hanging out on a beach in Cuba, right? She went on vacation. She's chilling on the beach, and she's like, I'm going to go to Florida today. Let's swim to Florida today. Let's get in the water and let's go. Like, that would have failed instantly, right? That would not have worked. And yet her journey and our journey to become these people that we want to be, it's filled with these small steps, right, or, or small strokes where we're pushing one thing behind us and pulling what we're striving for closer. It's a journey along the way. And the truth of all of this is that in the heat of the moment, when the, when the rubber meets the road, if you will, we often struggle, maybe I just often struggle, to choose well. Right, like maybe you're running short on, on on money, so you're willing to cheat on your taxes, and then you're willing to cheat on your exercise or your eating, or then on your spouse. Like maybe in the heat of an argument, we're willing to tear someone. Down that we actually love or who loves us. We're willing to to call them hurtful names. We're willing to yell a little louder or walk away pretending that we don't care about them. Like maybe in the heat of the moment, we're willing to compromise who it is that God's calling us to be for some short-term success or comfort or fear. Because in, in the midst of life's most trying struggles, we actually often struggle to choose Well. And so practically speaking, what I want to put before us this morning is this idea that we would make the decision before we make the decision, that we would make the decision before we make the decision, because the, the truth of the matter is simple, that every single decision that we make, it has an outcome. It has some sort of outcome, and we want to choose well. Well. The author of Proverbs 27:12 says it like this. They say, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Right? Like We've got to make the decision up front in regards to who we want to be so that then we can make the decision that aligns with all of that in the heat of the moment. We've got to make the decision before we make the decision as individuals, as families, and and even as an entire church. And I think Andy Stanley says it best. He says it like this. He says, direction, not intention, determines destination. Direction, not intention, determines destination. It doesn't matter what our intentions are if we're going in the wrong direction. Like if Diana Nyad had had all this in place, she'd jumped off the shore in Cuba, and she'd gone east. She's never going to make it to Florida. She's going around and around and around. Where's Florida? The other direction. The other direction. Jesus even talks about this. Jesus says there's this road. It's a wide road that many people are on, and that road leads to destruction. And he says then there's another way, and it's it's a narrow road that's a little harder to follow but that road leads to life with him because it just comes down to this, our lives are about direction. They're about direction. If we know where we wanna go and we know who we wanna be and we know what we want our lives to be about, then our intentions aren't enough to lead us to the destination. Our intentions aren't good enough. We've got to actually move that way. Hopefully, together, hopefully there's other people moving that way. And I believe that we need to begin making that decision now. Like, it's imperative that we say, now, this is the decision we want to make before we get into that moment where we have to make the decision. And so before I I dare us all to do this and make this decision, before we make the decision, I want to take a look at the life of Jesus and how he actually modeled this principle to us. We're gonna pick up the, the story of Jesus' life when, when he's about thirty years old. So this is this is right at the outset of his ministry, right? It, he's gonna go about the life that we read about in the gospels, all all the, the amazing things that he did, but this is before that. We're gonna pick it up right there. And so here's Jesus, he's been doing the family trade, he's been a carpenter, he's been hanging out, and so now it's time to get baptized before he begins. And so he finds John the Baptist is baptizing, and he wants to be baptized too. I think that's great. Pick the guy whose name is John the Baptist. He's going to be great at this, right? He's a natural baptizer. And so here Jesus is. He shows up to get baptized, right? And John the Baptist baptizes him. He dunks him, and when he comes up out of the water, this is what God speaks to Jesus. He says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. That's what Jesus hears as he comes up out of the water. And this is, this is a freebie. I'm going to go off course a little bit. Right? Like this has nothing to do with the directions and all that, just an aside. So in this moment, right, like Jesus is fully aware and fully grasps the extent of God's love for him. Right? He knows that he's the Father's dearly loved son who brings great joy before he has accomplished anything. Jesus has not performed a single miracle, hasn't healed a single person. He doesn't even have a follower. Right? Like he's done nothing. And God says to him, You are my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. You know what's crazy about that? That God thinks the same thing about us. That's how much he loves us. Before we've accomplished anything, before we accomplish or don't accomplish anything, no matter where we've been or what we've done, that we are still that loved by God. That's free. You're welcome. Right, so we're, let's, move, let's move on. After Jesus is baptized, right, he gets baptized, he's led into the wilderness by the Spirit. And we're going to pick up that story in Matthew 4, starting in verse 1. You can turn there, pull it up on your phone. You've got a notes page. Here it is on the screen, and I'm going to read it. Right, so you're not going to miss this. You're not going to miss this. Follow along however you want to. It says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, just like I told you, to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. Of course, right? That makes sense. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and he became hungry. But because Jesus was fasting and praying and soaking in the love of his Father, he's actually curiously stronger at this point. He's more prepared to face the temptation. Isn't that wild? Anyway, here we go. During that time, the devil came and said to him, and I got to stop us there too. I almost made it a full sentence, right? But, but here, here, I've got to ask this question like, what is this temptation thing all about? What's actually happening? The devil came to him. Like, what, what does this mean? It's not like Satan comes strolling across the wilderness, right? Jesus is praying and fasting. Here comes Satan, right? And he's like, hey, I'm the devil. I'm here to tempt you. Where should we start? You want to start with the bread thing? Like we could do that first? Right? Like that's not how it happened. That's not how it happened. He wasn't he wasn't this red guy right with the horns and the pitchfork and the tail. Like that's not what it looked like. That's easy to resist that temptation. The temptation for Jesus to go the other way. It's not overt. The temptation that comes before us to go the other way, it's not overt. Jesus has been in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. It, it like happens in the darkness. Right? The temptation, it, it comes quietly and subtly in order to lure us into it. Like if the devil had just presented himself before Jesus or, or if the devil just presented himself before us and he was like waving and flagging and pointing at us, he's like, go that way. We'd be like, yeah, right. You're a creepy red dude. We're going that way where Jesus is. Or like that would be so easy to resist that temptation if it happened like that. That would have been easy for Jesus. Like no way. Go in the way of my father. But it doesn't happen like that. The temptation, it happens like in, in the quiet, dark places of our hearts and our minds. That's how it happens with Jesus. That's how it happens with us. Right? The, the temptation, is speaking softly. The, the enemy, the, 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 the world is often but like a whisper in the night. I think that's how Jesus was tempted. And so Satan says to Jesus, he says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus said to him, no, the scriptures say, right, which this is great. This means, first of all, that Jesus knows some scripture. Like he already had something stored in his heart. He had already made some sort of decision before this moment and he says, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, you see, even the devil knows scripture. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, Jesus knows more than one verse. He says, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to a peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away, and angels came and took care of Jesus. You see, for for 40 days prior to being tempted, Jesus is in the wilderness contemplating how to go about the work of Messiah, how to go about the work of King, how to go about living out this mission that he came to earth to live out, like how to get people to follow him. And all of these temptations come and Jesus chooses none of the ways of the world that the devil tries to tempt him with. He wants nothing to do with those. We're commonly tempted in the same way as Jesus was there, right? With, with temptations of prosperity and popularity and politics. And Jesus has to legitimately battle these temptations. Like they are real to him because he's thinking to himself, what's the best way to get people to follow me? That's the question he's trying to figure out. What's the best way to get them to follow you? Well, feed them, of course. Or right, like give them what they need, appeal to their needs. I mean, I, I do high school ministry. I know that. You feed them. That's what you do. Give them, give them what they need, some food. Right, like that's a legitimate appeal to Jesus. But bread was also the trick of the empire. That's how they got people to do what they said. They would feed them, and Jesus would not, not adopt a shortcut such as this. Like his kingdom was not the way of the world that people knew it. Right, it wasn't that kind of kingdom. This temptation, it's, it's just so brilliantly subtle though, isn't it? Like giving bread, giving food to people who need it, that's a good thing. That's a good thing, but not when the motivation behind it is wrong. It was an issue of the heart. And so you see, Jesus, he'd already made the decision before the temptation was brought before him, he was already going in the other direction. He already knew he didn't want anything to do with Satan. Right? Because Jesus could do the whole bread thing, right, if he wanted to. In John 6, we actually read of Jesus multiplying loaves of bread, right? All these people had gathered to listen to Jesus, over 5,000 people, and they're listening on, hanging on to his every word. And then it's time to leave. And there's, no, there's, there's nowhere to go, there's nowhere to get food. So Jesus says, Well, We'll make them some food. There's a few loaves and some few fishes and boom, he turns it into all this bread to feed over 5,000 people. Jesus can do the bread thing. And after they've eaten this food that Jesus has provided for them, John 6, 15 says it like this. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Like, they're still trying to make him king. That's the temptation still to become king, just like the kings of the Roman Empire, right? The only kind of king that they knew. Be a better version of that king, of course. Be a righteous king, but be a king like that nonetheless. Right, and then throughout the rest of John 6, Jesus says essentially to all these people, right, he slipped away into the hills, and he gets over to the other side, and they still find him. They keep following him everywhere. And he says to him, you want bread? Right, he probably said a little nicer. He's like, you want bread? Right, You you want bread? He's probably more patient than me. You want bread? You want me to feed you? He says, well, how about this? I offer you my flesh to eat and my blood to drink because I am all you need. Many could not accept that, right? And they stopped following him. They didn't want that. They wanted food. They wanted a king who would feed them. They didn't want to eat their king, Right? Because that's not why Jesus came. He'd already made the decision before the decision. That's why he slips away. Again, we see he's not going to give in to the temptation, the the decision of that temptation, because he already knew the direction he wanted to go. He wouldn't give in to the allure of popularity, right? Because 5,000 plus people wanting you to be king, that's enticing. We're like, you can only have a maximum amount of 5,000 Facebook friends before you can't have any more, right? And he could have had that and then some. Right? That, that's enticing, but he would not give in to the allure of popularity. Jesus made the decision before the decision. So now let's fast forward to the end of Jesus' life, the end of his ministry. There comes this point where Jesus is gathered with his disciples, and, and he tells them, he's going to tell them, like, this is what's going to happen, guys. This is how it's going to go down. We read this in Matthew 16:21. says, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem And that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He says he would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. And so, as he tells his disciples this, right, I can imagine, like, they're like, huh? You're gonna get killed? You're our king. Like, what's gonna happen? And so, Peter grabs him, takes him aside. And he begins to reprimand Jesus for saying such things as this. And he says, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. This will never happen. They will never kill you. Terrible things will not happen to you. And here's what Jesus says. He turns to Peter and he said, get away from me, Satan. We've heard that before, right? Jesus had done this before in the wilderness. He knew what the attacks of the enemy looked like. He was prepared for such a thing as this. He'd already made the decision that he would not give in. And he says, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. You see, even after three years of being with Jesus, like hanging on his every word, learning from him, as he's being taught by Jesus, Peter still thinks Jesus was going to be a king like all the other kings he knew about. A better version of it, of course, but he still thought he was going to be that kind of king. Jesus' kingdom, though, is not the way of the sword. It does not fight back. Jesus had already made his decision. His kingdom was going to be a kingdom that was the way of of love, and the first one to lead the way was to be him, the true king. And so then, Jesus chooses to follow through with the decision The decision he made at the beginning. The decision that that guided every little decision he had to make along the way. Even in the last moments he's praying that, that God would give him another way. He still chooses to submit his life to the Father's will. And Jesus chooses to go to the cross willingly. That's the way of his kingdom. That he would go willingly because he loves you and I that much because his kingdom is all about loving sacrifice and jesus knew that he was the only one who could show the heart of god by dying in our place that's what jesus chose because he already made the decision and then again jesus follows through and three days later he's raised from the dead just like he said and the resurrection then becomes jesus like only proof of validity right because he refused all along to perform any type of trick on command so that he might obtain a following. That was not the purpose of his life. He modeled the way. Jesus made the decision before the decision. And because of this, he he was not willing to become a king like the, the, the world had in mind, but instead, he was only going to become the king that the world needed. Jesus made the decision before the decision, because he stayed true to who it was that he was created to be. He didn't falter from that path because he knew the direction he wanted to go. And if you are to close this gap between where you are and where you wanna be, between who you are and, and, and who you wanna be, it's probably gonna require all of us being more of who we really are. Right, like you have to make that decision now to be more of who you really are like that's that's the dare part 1 be who Jesus is calling you to be live the life that Jesus is calling you to live he already showed us what that looks like he modeled the way and then journey this is what I dare you as a series is all about that we as a church are, are making the decision now to be about these things of God that that we'll lay out before us in the the forms of of values and vision and mission statement over the next month and a half. Because we're we're gonna put our foot in the ground and say, this is who we wanna be, this is what makes journey, journey, this is what makes us who we are. And I'm daring all of us now to make that decision, but before the storm comes, right, like before the walls fall down, before the struggles happen, that we might follow the example of Jesus now, that, that our feet might be planted firmly on the foundation of Jesus now, that that becomes our decision now. Because imagine, imagine if every single one of us like, got up off the bench if we got up and we got moving, we got going, we got about the mission of, of loving as Jesus first loved us. Like imagine what that would look like in our community and beyond. And imagine if if we we took the challenge that we talked about last week and we all lived as witnesses of Jesus being fully committed to doing small things with great love for the glory of God. Like imagine if we as a people we didn't wait until we had it all together we didn't wait till we had it figured out we didn't wait till some like amazing thing happened we just stepped out in faith right now and said this is what we want to be about loving like Jesus first loved us like Jesus is our example as individuals as families and even as a church let's be willing to go the way of Jesus and so to bring all of this home, if you will, my friend Dylan, he's going to come out and he's going to play a song. And as he plays, my challenge to you is let let those words that he sings spur you on and spur us on to go and live in the power of the Lord's love, that that though we might fall and struggle and stumble along the way, that, that we would actually then choose to rise and follow Jesus. I'll close this in a moment.
1: Hung my head for the last time in surrender and despair. Before I'm dead, I'll take the last. face my fears the time has come to make a choice use my voice for the love of every man my mind's made of Never again. Never again. Will I turn around? And though they may surround me like lions and crush me from all sides, I may fall, but I will rise Not by my mind Or my power By the strength of soul Only through Your love My Lord All we've lost Will be Restored Take courage, sons, for we must go under the heart of darkness to set them free. But don't lose heart when you see the numbers, there's no measure for faith we bring, and it's given us to overcome if we run. Where the Spirit calls us on, the greatest things have yet to come. we will rise And though they may surround us like lions And crush us on all sides We may fall, but we will rise Not by my mind or my path By the strength of swords, only through your love, my Lord, and all we've lost will be restored. my mind or my power by the strength of souls only through your love my Lord all we've lost will be restored
0: With with that, why don't you go ahead and let's set our stuff aside and maybe just be still for a moment. Be quiet before God and maybe one thing you could do is is just sit and let that sink in. That it's not by our might or our power, but it's through the love of the Lord that, that we will go and be about the mission of Jesus. Maybe you need to sit and you need to take before God a decision that you need to make now that you need to cement in the ground. Now you can take that time as well, and I'll close us here in a moment. continue to just take this time with God I wanted to take a moment and speak to maybe anybody who's here this morning who who hasn't made a decision to follow Jesus, who hasn't made that first decision, who hasn't surrendered their life to Jesus, maybe this morning you, you thought of it differently or you saw a picture of Jesus differently that he was the one who willingly went to the cross to die for you to provide a way for you to have a relationship with him and this morning, you, you want to make that decision. You want to hand over your life to him. And so if that's you, you can pray with me just in the quiet of your own hearts, a uh, prayer that would go something like this. God, this morning, I give you control of my life. I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on a cross and take my place and that he was risen from the dead just like he said. Would you forgive me for for everything I've ever done, God, for all the sin in my life? Would you make me new just as you promised to do? God, today I'm making the decision to follow you, to give you my life. And I commit to doing it for the rest of my life with everything I've got. Thank you for loving me just as I am, God. Today my life is yours. And I want you to know if you just prayed that prayer, like I honestly believe with everything in me, there is not a decision that is more important, that carries more weight, that can transform our lives in the same way as choosing to follow Jesus. And it's actually such a big deal that we ask you to share that with us. Not that we would embarrass you, but just so that we could celebrate that with you, that we could pray for you. And so if you made that decision this morning, would you just be so bold as to slip your hand up and make eye contact with me and say, yeah, today I'm making the decision to follow Jesus. Today, that's what I want my life to be about. You can do that now. Yep, I see you over there. Yep, right here. See you too. Yeah, back there. I don't want to miss anyone. Yeah, I see you over here. Yeah, right here, God, we we praise you for being you. We thank you that you're a God who loves us just as we are, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, and that we're just continually in awe of that, God, that you would long for a relationship with us. I praise you for those who are making the decision for the first time this morning, God. And my prayer is that from this point forward, all of us as a church family, that we would be about your mission on this earth. Would it be by the power of your spirit within us that we would be able to walk out of here, God, and love all the people around us that you're already so desperately in love with? God, I also pray that we would follow you so closely that we would become more and more of who you've created us to be, and that when we, we then enter into those times in our life, when it becomes challenging and it becomes hard, that we would already have made the decision to follow you no matter what, and that in those moments we would have the strength to carry on, that we would rise, God. And as we get about the work you have for us, God, I pray that it would be all because of you, all for you, that we wouldn't get in the way of that, that it wouldn't be about us, but that we would make you known and famous to the world continue to do, God, what only you can do in our lives. We love you. In your name we pray.